0: previously on the sports refuge podcast
1: that's what happens those odds are against you they're always against you no matter how smart you think you are those odds are against you it's really hard to make it out as a professional gambler
0: from delaware almost live this is a sports refuge podcast this is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports and now here's your host earl holland Welcome to the Sports Refuge Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Holland. Due to some technical difficulties we incurred, we had to take a brief break from the show. But I hope you enjoyed our Christmas-themed crossover with the guys from Movies and a Meal. They'll be back with me around Oscar time, where we'll discuss our favorite sports movies. Over the first 17 episodes, I've had a variety of guests ranging from journalists and other people with unique connections to sports, all the way to good friends and family. But this week is a moment I'm very proud of, as this week my guest is Towson University receiver Shane Leatherberry, one of the first active athletes I've had on the show. I've known Shane since my time as a sports reporter in Salisbury, Maryland, and back when he was a quarterback at Delmar High School in Delmar, Delaware. Since that time, Shane has had a unique path in his journey to becoming a first-team all-CAA wide receiver. In this episode, Shane and I discuss several things, including his transition from Division II football to competing on the football championship subdivision level, how he prepared himself for the move, and the best advice he received. And now, here's my conversation with Shane Leatherberry. This week is probably one of the biggest guests that I've ever had. He is one of the first Active athletes, college or professional to be on the show. And it's definitely my great pleasure to have Shane Leatherberry, football player of Towson University. Shane definitely has taken the time out of his busy schedule as a student to participate in this interview. And he has a pretty good resume. He led the team in receptions this year, was a first teamer in the Colonial Athletic Conference for football. And I've had the pleasure of covering Shane when I was a young reporter back in Salisbury, Maryland. And he was playing quarterback at Delmore High School. How are you today, Shane? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing absolutely great, especially right now. One of the biggest things, I was reading a little information about how you came to Towson, ended up making the team as a walk-on. Going into that situation, becoming a walk-on player, how did your path to becoming a Division One football player come to be?
1: Well, I was at Del Mar. I was playing quarterback. We ran like a wing-T offense. I didn't really pass the ball much. I mean, I was a five foot ten quarterback just knowing that I'm not tall enough. Crews don't want me as a quarterback. I knew I was going to have to play receiver. I have good speed, good athleticism. So I knew I would have to play receiver if I wanted to play at the next level, especially at a high level. I could probably play at a lower level. I wanted to play quarterback, but I always wanted to play at higher level schools. So I went to a combine one time. I got looked at by a few schools and I got an offer from Seton Hill. And after that, I just took that offer Played my freshman year there. I was still getting used to being a receiver, so I didn't play that well. And I wanted to be closer to home, so I started emailing schools. I came home, and I ended up at a community college, Warwick, where I was working as a sports photo, just taking videos and whatnot. But I was doing that and going to class at Warwick, and I just was working out every day as much as I could. I was working out in the morning with either my boss and my friend, Spencer Tillis, or Jamel Jones, because he was home, too, and he was trying to get to where he wanted to be as well. So that was definitely, like, big money motivation to have air and that always kept me pushing so that was like just some of the stuff then I finally got to Towson in the spring of I think 2016 and of course I was a walk-on so I was at the bottom of the depth chart every day we had it on the TV bottom of the depth chart. So I will just come in and I see my name at the bottom. I'm just like, dang, like I can't stay like that. Then after we started to work out and I was strong because all I was doing at home was really lifting and then running routes, lifting, running routes and working. So I was pretty strong. And as we started to lift, we didn't even get to practice yet. And I saw my name moving up depth charts i was like this is the real deal like maybe i can have a shot at playing here and then we start spring ball we go through spring ball at the end of spring ball my name's at the top of the list and i'm like all right now it's a couple times so like that was pretty much the journey to get to playing the first year i was there and
0: Going into that first year, there's so much to digest from there. You just talked about going to Seton Hill Division II school. What was the biggest adjustment transitioning from being a quarterback to a wide receiver and then transitioning from playing in D2 and going to D1 as a walk-on with a year off?
1: The quarterback the receiver, that was, I mean, they always say quarterback has the best hands on the team. So in high school, I played defense. I played a little bit of running back here and there for Del Mars. And as quarterback, you're supposed to know defenses. So that also helped pretty well. So to go to start running routes and learning all the little things like how to cut like a receiver, how to drop your weight and do everything how a receiver does. That was like the biggest adjustment, just learning how to run routes because that's just something you don't learn as a quarterback. I'm used to doing three-step drop, one-step drop, maybe a five-step drop, but knowing how to run a route, a post route, even a simple hitch route, that's just stuff that you do as that just to get open and just all that type of stuff was pretty tough. And then going D2 to D1 is I mean, D2 is definitely, there's a lot of athletes, fast guys, strong guys, but I mean, you come up the ladder and everybody's fast, everybody's strong, you think you're good because you run a low 4-4 in the 40, you got a fast 40 time, and you think you're fast until you catch a screen and you get chased down by a DN because he also runs the 4-5 and He's coming at a straight line, so I think the biggest adjustment is just the speed of the game, and just like everything, just way more technical, and just focus, and everything is about football. It's just
0: when you got to Towson. When did you feel you finally had made it? That spring, when my name was at the top of the
1: roster, like we were in practice, and I started to run with the ones a lot, like. I'm running with the ones and the twos. I started texting my friends. My parents like, I'm getting in with the twos. Now I'm getting in with the ones. At the end, and we were in the spring game and I was in with the ones. And that was really when I felt like I made it. When I just started listening with the ones or even rotating with the ones. That was like the breaking point. And then... I didn't even think my spot was solidified then because it's just spring ball. I'm like, they're going to bring in recruits that actually got recruited, like people that are giving money to other people and uh, they're going to put them over top of me automatically. So I come back that fall camp, my name was still at the top of the list. And I was just like, all right, all I got to do is do my job now. And something that I've always based myself upon, my, my mom, she always used to ask us after games or after we did anything, we could lose or win. She, the only thing she would ask is how the game go, uh, it, it went okay. She said, did you do your best? Oh, of course. Like, I did my best. I did what I could do. She was like, that's all you can do. All you can do is your best. And that's like one thing I based myself on. I knew that I had the spot. And the only thing that would happen for me to lose it if I just didn't do my best. I started to slack off. I got complacent. And that's when I would just, I would lose it because they're paying these other guys. They're paying these other guys to play, to come to this school. And I'm just a walk on. And then at the end of the camp, I had such a good camp. They offered me a uh, half scholarship, and then at that point, I was just like, all right, now, now they're paying me, so I'm, I must be doing something right. So like all that just really factored into me feeling like I made it.
0: As a student athlete, and I know sometimes the athlete part tends to get emphasized more than the student part, how did you right. try to balance the classes in addition to practices and games?
1: Uh, well, there's always a lot of people that help you. We got a lot of academic help and stuff, but I mean, it's definitely a lot of long nights, early mornings, trying to get all your work done before. And then you got to wake up 430 for workouts or practice or something like that. So it's a lot of late nights that I spent like just doing work and then whipping, and try to do all the football stuff that we had to do practice or working out or Anything like that. So as much as you want to take a nap during the day, that's just sometimes you got to sacrifice no nap and just go at it.
0: I was looking at some of your stats. Last season, I believe you had 30 catches, and you more than doubled it to, what, I 60, believe, what, 67, 68? 67, yeah. Where did you feel the biggest improvement was from that first year to this year?
1: My first year, I missed about four games because of my ankle and that didn't even have much to do with I could have played way better the first year. I just didn't have confidence. Going from quarterback to receiver, what I lacked was confidence. The ball was coming to me. I'm I'm thinking like, ah, catch. Do you know how to catch? Are you going to catch it? But every, every day I do it in practice, so I don't know why it would be any different in the game. So I mean, sometimes I would just think too much about doing this or that my first year here. But after that year, I got comfortable. I started rolling toward the end of the season. I started having better games when I came back from my injury. And that, that rolled over into this year, like, that spring, I had a really good spring. I started to trust myself more. And it's just like trusting myself, trusting myself, trusting myself. You can catch the ball every day. So it's just the ball. It's nothing new once you get to the game. So really, it was just all trust and confidence. So I think the thing that has a lot to do with my success was definitely trusting myself and having confidence.
0: Looking at your stats, it's 67 catches, 885 yards, seven touchdowns. Do you ever get caught up by the statistics that you put up?
1: Uh, no, not really, because I was always taught at Del Mar, we were taught, you don't look at statistics like we were winning. I was having good games and whatnot, but it's definitely like that's one of the last thing I was worried about. I mean, it's definitely really cool and it's really special to be playing that well. But I'm not worried about statistics because there's still stuff that you mess up on. You go into meetings and you know that you messed up on this or that you just know that and i mean the stats are great and all but just knowing that there's always something to improve on that's what i pride myself on is just being the best you can be i've had games where i've had way less catches and way less yards and i've graded out way better than the big games that i've had so the statistics are all good everybody loves it everybody starts to talk to you and you get way more love and you get more appreciation but I mean, I've always felt like there's always something you can improve on from those games. So I've just always tried to improve.
0: And now this year, the Tigers went to the FCS tournament this year. How would you sum up this season for you and Towson?
1: Uh, I think there was a lot of games that we left on the field. I mean, me personally, I probably could have played a lot better in some games. But mid 2020, I think the improvement and just the energy all around of our team and like, everything just felt different. Everybody was locked in, and just to have the energy of a winning ball club, and just to be a part of, like, everybody setting records for the school, our offense is rolling, and to be a part of the best offense in the nation at one point. Not sure how we finished, but even we were the best in the conference, so to be a part of that was, like, something that I took pride in, because you're not just playing at a D1 college, which you've always dreamed of. You're also playing at a really good offense you're playing in a really good offense and you're actually helping them it's not like you're just sitting here you're actually like helping the team I felt like it was fun everybody was having fun and that's what football is all about to me having fun because you wouldn't do it if it's not fun so just that the energy was always there I look forward to practices and games not just games like practices are fun and that's just a complete turnaround than what it was the year before I feel like
0: I know you mentioned you sent out tape from that one-year Seton Hill. What other schools did you look at or did you send stuff off to in addition to Towson?
1: Uh, I sent stuff off to almost every school I could think of. I was just sending emails every day. Any school that I would think of in my head, I would just email them. I would email, email, but, I mean, really wasn't getting much responses at all, but, I mean, I just really just emailed every day. At one point, I was going to West Virginia, and then that just didn't work out. And every school that I could think of, every school that anybody could think of, I probably emailed them at least five times. Everybody on their staff list, even the graduate assistant coaches, strength coaches, anything I could do to just get back in school, I was just emailing every school that was. I probably emailed schools in Oregon, Washington, any any school that was. I could think I couldn't even give you a list because it was just so many schools.
0: As you mentioned before, you took time off went back home to Salisbury, went to Warwick, and you worked at WMDT TV station. What was that experience like, and how do you feel that may have prepared you for getting back into football?
1: When I was there, it was like I would have to watch a lot of football games, a lot of basketball games, and you like really could see it from a different perspective because every time I was playing the game, I would let my emotions get into everything or get mad. But then you see players, like, complaining about this or complaining about that. And you're just like, wow, like, that's me right there. That's how I was and that's how I run myself. But then you look at the bigger picture, you put yourself in the coach's shoes or, like, the people's watchers shoes. And you just realize that doesn't look good to anybody. And I think, like, all that. And then just watching people play, it made me miss it even more and made me work harder and harder every day. Because I'm just like, I got to get back to that because... I mean, it was fun being a WMD but I knew that that was just temporary and I wanted to be playing football and not recording it.
0: What was some of the growing pains just learning to shoot with the camera there?
1: Uh, Well, the first few games, it was just hard to even like record. I didn't know what buttons to press you had to do with the white right balance and everything, all the balance to get the camera adjusted and whatnot. So I used to come back to the station and my boss, Spencer, would just be like, what were you doing here? And I would just forget steps to zoom into the white and then to get the white balance and then zoom in on whatever's far away, get the focus right. And just everything like I would just come back and I would have all clips with different shades of colors, different tints. And he's like, did you shoot two games today? Like everything was just like, what is this? And I'm at the game thinking I'm doing great. And then I would just like record and I would miss stuff. And then I'm like, oh, man, that should be a highlight on tonight's news. I'm just like, I missed it. And like, it's stressful. And then you would get back and you got to try to edit this stuff. And I just learned how to edit. So it was tough for me to learn how to edit. And just it would come to crunch time. You get back at 1045. You got to have it ready by 11 o'clock for the news and you got to type of script up or at least have the people's names that did this and that. So you're looking at rosters and I'm just like, this is real deal. Like that was my Friday night rush was that right there. So that's what got me through it. I think.
0: Yeah. I think the biggest piece of adrenaline is knowing that you only have so much time, especially technology, anything can go wrong. Like you said, white balancing. I learned with white balancing. You feel like you always have to have a piece of paper with you at any time to make sure you get the white balance. And then at any point, as the day goes along, the darker it gets, you feel like you got to redo it again over and over. Redo it. And it can be a very tough thing, too. Did you have any experience shooting video prior to that?
1: No, I did not. Spencer just encountered me in high school and him, like, became friends and he just wanted to help me out. He knew I was home stressing out about football, so he just wanted to help me out, really. And I mean, it definitely learned how very quickly, but I did not have any prior experience.
0: Is it something that you would want to get back into later on or even think about getting into doing television broadcasting? Oh, yeah, I definitely. At one point,
1: I even switched my major to communications because I was just like, this stuff is so cool just to do. But uh, all my other classes were already criminal justice major. So it just was going to mess up my grad plan. And I would have maybe been in school for about 10 years trying to get that degree. So, I just went right back to criminal justice. But, I mean, i definitely thought about it. I think it's a really cool thing to do. And, shoot, if, if I get the chance to, I definitely would.
0: I know you talked about criminal justice. And I know that your family is a long line of police officers. And I've had the chance to meet your dad a couple of times and interview him for different situations. I remember interviewing him, I think it was years ago, for, like, a home invasion in, like, Princess Anne, Maryland. It was a very wild one, people running through the woods, breaking through the house and stuff like that. What led to your decision to go into criminal justice?
1: My grandfather and my dad were both state troopers from Maryland. I've always, like, looked at that. It's so cool. I've always thought being a police officer would be cool and uh, always looked up to them because, I mean, you can help anybody. You can change the community and how, I mean, even now, people are starting to look at police as even more negative than what they have. And, like, to just be able to pride yourself on helping people see police as, like, different and being able to help. And just, like, taking pride in my job. And I just think that being a police officer would be so cool because it's just like football. Like, stuff can change in a matter of seconds. And you could be doing something as a police officer. You could be doing something, like, you could be sleeping. Two o'clock in the morning, something happens. You got to wake up. and You got to be ready to go. Like, And that's what it's all about. I think, like, just the fact that you're not going into work doing the same thing every day. You get to switch things up. You get to do this and that. You can enjoy your job. You can help a lot of people along the way. And I think I've always wanted to help younger people, like, just be better, even if I can just talk to them. I mean, not only police officers can do that, but I'm just saying if somebody's getting in trouble or something like that, you can talk to them, maybe, like, steer them in the right direction. Just help them any way you can. I think that has a lot to do with it.
0: Do you feel that maybe there should be a greater need for black police officers? Uh, I mean, there's definitely...
1: Right now, it seems like there should be, but I'm not sure if there is a need. I definitely probably feel like there's a need for them because it just seems like we're there's not many. So, I mean, to have more would definitely be better for the black community or like even the minority communities. It just would look better. or feel better for African-Americans and we would just feel more trusting maybe or just feel like, you know, we can relate to them more, things of that nature. But whoever's got the badge, I just think they got to do their job to the best of their ability, no matter what the color of the skin is.
0: My brother, he's in law enforcement, he's a correctional officer, so we sort of have discussions like that sometimes, just sort of gauging, do you feel like the surrounding community should have someone that represents them in appearance sometimes? Exactly. Going back to your time playing football at Del Mar, you were part of a program that has a very large history in football in the state of Delaware. Places you went throughout the state of Delaware when you guys played football. Do you feel like there was a reputation that people knew? the small little town all the way at the tail end of the state?
1: Yeah. Even at Towson, people know the history, like how prideful people are in Del Mar, the tradition of football and all that. I mean, but traveling around Delaware, I mean, my junior year, we were 9-1. and one. My my senior year, we were 5-5. Five and five. But even the five and five year like people still respect you like that's still Del Mar. they could win at any second like my brother played here in like 2006 he graduated and they were 10 and 0 everybody knows of the history especially around delaware so just to be in that atmosphere and just knowing that you maybe not putting the pressure on yourself to win but knowing that everybody's expecting you to win is definitely like a a big deal and then going everywhere Del Mar fans they travel everywhere to support you anywhere you go so it's just a great history like just blessing to be a part of
0: and also at Del Mar you also played basketball as well it's interesting to ask people who especially play a sport on the college level do they feel that playing multiple sports in high school do they feel that that helped prepare them for moving on either playing at one sport at the college level
1: uh, I think it definitely helped, even if it was just conditioning, like moving my feet, uh, jumping. I mean, I think even basketball comes with a lot of stress and just being able to manage the stress. Uh, I think that plays a big role in being football and the, uh, managing the stress there. So I think it's a lot of stuff that relates sport to sport that you can take from one sport and use it in another sport, no matter what it is. Like I definitely think it helps a lot. Even if you play two, three sports and you just go on to play one sport. I think it definitely has a big impact.
0: Who would you say was probably the best athlete you played against at the high school level, regardless of any sport?
1: Best athlete? Well, I was a freshman when we played him, but uh, Jamie Jarman, he plays for the University of Delaware. When I watched him play, I was probably one of the craziest athletes I've ever seen play in person because... My freshman year, I might not remember a lot of stuff, but that game, like, he was, yeah, he, he literally could do what he wanted on the field and just, like, such a crazy athlete. It was just amazing to watch him play. So I think that's one of the best athletes, definitely, one of the top guys.
0: I know on your team that you play with the brother of Joe Flacco. Yep. I know any athlete doesn't want to be compared to a sibling who's maybe a little more famous and who had his success. Is there anything that you've seen of of him that reminds you of Joe?
1: Uh, I mean, they both great players. They both can sling it. They they know how to play. Uh, Joe Flacco is a really smart quarterback, and Tom Flacco he definitely is a smart quarterback and prides himself on that. And they're just like really hard workers. But I mean, Joe Flacco is about six six, and Tom Flacco is maybe six foot six one. So. I mean, they have a lot in common. They have a totally different game. I think that's definitely like pretty cool because, I mean, as much as people want to compare it, it's just like they have such different game styles and gameplay that it's just really hard to actually compare them other than their last name, really.
0: I know we mentioned the Towson offense having such success this year. What do you think was a key reason to everyone having such a successful year on the offensive side of the ball?
1: Uh, I think we just we figured out our personnel. We, we knew each other's strong suits. And um, we were working out all season, so you knew the guy next to you was going to make a play. So as much as you wanted to make a play, you wanted the guy next to you to make a play. So you're going to bust your butt to make sure that he makes a play. You're going to make the extra block. You're going to do whatever you can so he can make a play. And then when it comes to you, they're going to do whatever they can so you make a play. So it was just like a tighter team. We wanted each other to, to be greater. It wasn't anything about me or you. It was about us. And I feel like that really helped us out a lot.
0: Was there a change in offensive philosophy, or was it the same offense, just sort of everybody going into it a little more knowledgeable of it?
1: Um, there was definitely a little change. We went from huddling up every play to more of a high-tempo offense, and no huddle. And then, I mean, we, we Towson is known as a running team, you know, for power offense, you know, going straight forward. We started to spread the ball around passing way more this season, and I think that had a lot to do with it because we had the people to do it outside and then running backs inside and Flacco can run too. And along with our running backs, uh, Shane Simpson and Yeddy and Kobe young, all of them, they can run the ball. So just having an offense that could pass and run instead of just offense that could run and then make occasional pass. I think that helped us out a lot to just open teams up and they didn't really know what was coming.
0: What would you say was probably the most memorable game of this past season for you guys?
1: Most memorable game? Uh, a good question. Probably the University of Delaware game was a good game, but we lost that one. So that was probably the craziest game this year for me and the team. But I think I think a really good game was the Villanova game because that was just like a statement game. It was early in the season. And like on the, the sideline when the defense was playing, it was like, all right, yeah, like this is real deal. They were ranked like number 10 in the nation. And we just played out of our minds and everybody was like dialed in, focused up and like, I remember after that game, I'm just like, "Yeah, this is this is like the year that we we can really do something special." We might not have finished the way we wanted to, but just the energy of the football team is just way different. I think that game really was memorable to me, and just like realizing that we could do something as a team that could be special.
0: I know one of the biggest transitions was not only in addition from going from Division two to Division one, but Moving to, we can say it, the Baltimore-Towson area is a little more metropolitan than the eastern shore of Maryland and, and lower Sussex County in Delaware. Was there a bit of a culture shock just sort of going from a small town to a bigger area?
1: Uh, it wasn't much of a culture shock. I always like to be around, you know, more people. There's more stuff to do here and there. Like, I mean, I think the biggest, biggest thing for me was my gas was disappearing way faster in my car. And I was stopped stop getting a lot of gas mileage. But, I mean, other than that, I feel like, I mean, we're close to Baltimore, but we're far enough where we're not really in a city. So, I mean, the Towson area is just like a happy medium for me, I feel like. We might not have the farms and the cows that I had in Eastern Shore, but, I mean, it's definitely not a big-time city right here, but you can travel a little bit if you want it. So I think I'm in a happy medium right now.
0: And, of course, at Del Mar, there's been a lot of alumni who have, had opportunities to go on and play in the college ranks and some professionally, like for example, Alex Ellis, who's with Kansas city. Now he was also a quarterback at Del Mar yeah. for people to see guys like you and Alex have success. What does that say to anyone playing football, even in a small town? It doesn't matter if it's Delaware, Maryland, it could be all the way in Rhode Island or something like that. What does that say to that person seeing someone from a small school have the opportunity to succeed?
1: Uh, I think it just says a lot about, like, you might not get recruited. I mean, at Delmar, Mar, well, Skitter and I, we both didn't really get recruited the way we wanted to, the way we planned on. I mean, that's one of my best friends right now. He's really a big reason why I even took a shot at going D1 because I saw him doing it as a walk-on. And me and him now, we're both doing something pretty special. But he really got me to, to be here because I saw him doing it. He was a walk-on in Tennessee. He worked hard. He worked hard. And then you end up getting the full scholarship. And then for him to get picked up by NFL team and be in the NFL for so long, I think that really says a lot about just you might come from a place you, know, you might be overlooked, you might be under-recruited, but it's not about that. You just got to have a lot of heart. You got to have determination. You got to love it. Like, you can't just give up when it gets tough and when you feel like you're not getting love that you're supposed to. You just got to stay consistent and stay on the grind and just got to keep working, keep your head down and keep working. And one day you might look up and you're the one that people are looking up to instead of you looking up to other people. And that's just all about hard work, I feel like. And maybe not even of once said, it's not about outworking the man next to you, outworking him, outworking him. It's all about outworking yourself. So every day you just got to outwork yourself because you don't know what somebody else is doing across the world that you might have to play. But you know what you're doing. So if you can just outwork yourself, that's what it's all about.
0: What would you say has been the greatest piece of advice someone's ever given you?
1: Uh, my mama, she used to tell me to do my best every day and every game, everything Should take a test, study for the test, do your best. And that might not be a lot to anybody else, but just to do my best in everything was just like, OK, that makes a lot of sense. If I do my best, today, I won't have any regret. I will not look back and say, dang, I should have done this or that every time I do my best every play. I write on every pair of cleats I get, did you do your best? That's all you can do because doing your best, you're not going to feel sorry for yourself. You're not going to fall to the level of somebody else. You're going to do your best. To do my best every day, I think her telling me that was the best advice I've ever seen because that just takes a long way. It might be so small, so minute, but just doing your best, that's all you can do. And that's what got me here.
0: I've seen many people talk about, yeah, sometimes while it hurts if you lose, But if you feel like you did everything possible you can do, you can't feel that you didn't give your 100 percent effort.
1: Exactly. I mean, after a loss, it always feels bad. But to know that you did everything you can, that's all you can do. So you can't ask any more of yourself than that. So, I mean, just doing your best is definitely take anybody along. We're not just in sports, but anything in life.
0: Do you have dreams of potentially playing in the NFL?
1: Oh, there's definitely dreams. I mean, that's the reason why I took the shot of coming here, because I've always dreamed of it. I've always wanted to do it. And you see other people doing it. It's just, I love the game so much. It's like, if I ever get the chance to do it, that would be special to me. I know it's 1% or 1% to do it, but even just to think of it, just, I mean, that really keeps the drive going. And even if it doesn't work out, just to try, I mean, it doesn't hurt to try and trying your best as anything else that happens is putting everything into it just to have a shot at doing it. I think that's what just keeps you going. And the thought of it, I definitely think of it all the time. So we'll see.
0: During my time as a reporter, I always saw a lot of talented players, some were lucky enough to get the chance to go to college and play in the next level or even go to academic scholarships. And then you see the other half where there's so many people have so much talent, they don't end up using it. And then you always wonder... This guy or this girl was so good, they weren't able to use that to the best of their abilities. And it feels like sometimes, especially down on the Eastern Shore, and it's probably a lot of places, but just going by that as an example, it feels like a lot of people didn't live up to their potential or are able to get away from the area, especially seeing that there's not as much there as it would be somewhere else. In your mind, what do you feel might be a reason because of that?
1: Uh, I think just, I mean, it's just really tough to get recruited from there. People just overlooked it. I talked to a a scout before, like somebody that recruits for a college and they just straight up told me that they have not recruited lower Delaware in years. And I'm just like, good Lord. And that was when I was trying to leave. And then, I mean, you just really got to love it. I mean, in high school, it was really easy to do this and that. It was really easy to be all conference and then you get to college and you just realize it's so hard and everybody's not loving up on you and you got all these long days and long nights you got to go through it i mean some people just don't want to do that so they just, they just don't but also like to come out of there i mean there's a lot of stuff that goes on like you know street and anything that you got to get the grades you got to stay out of trouble you got to just say i mean that might be small stuff but that's pretty hard stuff to you know do and accomplish and uh you just really got to stay focused and stay level headed. and i think what helped me out a lot is I had a lot of friends that did make it out, like Nelson Brown. He's one of them. He's thriving where he is. Jamal King, he's thriving where he is. Then my other friend, Travell Jones, he hasn't got to there yet, but he was home working out with me when I was working out. He's still in school. He just He's going to play next semester, but just having those guys around me I think has a lot to do with who you're hanging around. And if you're hanging around people that... Are going to bring you down you're just going to go down with them like they say sharp iron sharp is iron Is man sharp is man so as long as you're hanging around people that are pushing you and want the best for you i think that gives people the best shot at achieving their goals i've even talked to people that are just like when i went home it would have been so easy for me to just stay home because i mean i was going there doing wmt every time i went there it's like Oh, man, like you should do this full time to do this and that. But I've always focused on the goal. And it's hard for a lot of people to focus on the goal because you get comfortable being home like with your parents, you with your friends and just like I'm living the dream. But then you get down the road and you look and say, was it really worth to do this and that? But at the moment in the time, it's just so easy to just stay there because, I mean, that's just what you know. And it's just so comfortable to do.
0: Yeah, and I know that the comfort level, the contentness, sometimes better to be the sort of big fish in a small pond. And then some people get that motivation to get up and go. Some people I've heard, I know people I went to high school with that they just up and left without a job, no plan, but they still left just wanted to get away. And I understand that some people don't like spinning their wheels and just being stuck in one place when they feel like there's more that can be offered out there
1: yeah i mean that happens a lot it's just so easy to get stuck to you've been doing all your life so i mean once you either get a shot or you don't get a shot so it's just like a lot of people just don't get shots there because we don't get recruited much i feel like and then even if you do get recruited it's so hard to go from that switch like you said being a big fish in a small pond then you, you go to a school where you're a small fish in a big pond you're going there nobody cares about what you did in high school nobody cares that you were a first-team all-conference. Nobody cares about any of that. You're just at the bottom of the ladder, and either you're going to work your way up or you're just going to fall off the ladder.
0: I didn't get to see Jamie Jarman play. Probably the best athlete I got the chance to see play during my time as a reporter was, and I hate pulling people's names out because sometimes it can seem bad, but Keith Jackson at Snow Hill, he was a guy could jump out of the gym, had the best teardrop shot I've ever seen, and I just thought, man, there could have been so much more.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's one example. I didn't really get to play against him much, but, I mean, there's a lot of guys that have come through and just had something happen where it just didn't work out for them, either being in trouble or just anything happened, something with their family, and they got to take time off. and ends up and take up more time than they thought. It just doesn't work out. And I'll even, like, I'll go and I'll talk to them about what happened. They'll help you out. Because, I mean, those guys, they wanted it. Some guys, they wanted it really bad. Just some things just don't work out. and And, I mean... To talk to them and get their perspective and they'll look back at it, I mean, complete regret or even like just don't do this, don't do that. They can tell you what not to do. So you'll stay away from that because, I mean, it's one thing to learn from your own mistakes, but it takes even smarter, man, to learn from somebody else's mistakes. And I think just having people around me that had the shot, like had an even bigger shot than I had. I mean, shoot, I was going D2. And just to have people that had full-ride scholarships to big D1 schools and just one mistake or one mishap in their life and everything's just gone. So I think just having that really helped me out along the way, too.
0: Yeah, and I hate having to drop names of people. I feel like missed their chance, but it's like I just remember so many guys, and I feel bad mentioning anymore, but there's so many other guys that it's like I watch and like these guys have the talent. Some exactly. of them couldn't get their head on straight. Some of them didn't work hard in the classroom. Some people just kept having trouble. Some people felt school wasn't for them. We could all say, we all know people like that. And I remember even when I was high school, there were a lot of people who had some talent who I know other people who got injured and injuries, there's nothing you can do with that sometimes. It's, yep. it's unfortunate. But other people, when you have that ability and that chance, and it feels like they don't put in the work that honestly, if I had any athletic ability, I would have killed for a lot of those opportunities.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of guys that, I mean, have crazy athletic ability. I mean, way better athletes, way better football players. I mean, there's people that I'm just like, you're an amazing athlete. And some people just don't get it. and They don't get it until it's too late. But I'm glad God understood. Even if somebody was a better athlete than me, I always wanted to be able to say well, I can work harder because I know I'm not the best athlete. I know I'm not the best football player. But if I can work hard, maybe at some point I'll be close. And just knowing that, I mean, you're just always working to be a better you. Maybe not be better than somebody else, but just being a better you every day. Just Some people just don't understand that, can't grasp that, and just don't make it.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things, going back to that year off, and you were working and going to Warwick, you hired someone to help you with conditioning. What was the biggest thing that you learned in that conditioning process, especially going from becoming a Division Two athlete to a potential walk-on in Division One level? What was the workout routine like?
1: Uh, well, the workout routine, it was crazy because, I mean, I just wanted to make sure that I was working as hard as I could, so I would work out as much as I could. Before, I would have class at, like, 9. I'd wake up at, like, 6 something, try to get breakfast, go work out at 7 before class, and then, like, My workouts, it was always like, I've never been in the best shape, but I knew if I wanted to play at the next level, I would have to be able to be ready when nobody else is ready or even like if I wanted to take a playoff, I couldn't take that playoff because that might be the play that I actually get the shot to make the play. I didn't ever want to come out because I was tired or something like that. So I always, I mean, my trainer knew what my goals were. I knew what my goals were. So he would push me a lot harder. It was at one more rep. So it would push me a lot harder than I could have pushed myself probably. So, I mean, just having somebody that would push me every day was just really good. I mean, and then having, like, my boy Travell, having him around, I mean, he used to, if somebody else couldn't, he was the guy that I could text in the morning and say, hey, uh, let's go work out. And he could be tired. Some days, he would be texting me, it's time to go work out, let's go, 7 a.m. All right, let's go. And then midnight comes, what you doing? Nothing. All right, let's go hit the gym. Like, just to have that to keep you going. Like that, having him right there was just like, was maybe one of the biggest things to me because it just really helped me out and just kept me in shape, kept me going, and just got me in the best shape I could be to get to where I wanted to go.
0: Who were some of your favorite athletes growing up?
1: Uh, I liked all the quarterbacks. I liked Michael Vick, Tim Tebow, then oh, Reggie Bush was a big one. As I got older, Tavon Austin. He's way faster than I ever could be, but just being able to watch him and what he does in the football field was crazy, and Stephon Diggs was a big one. So, I mean, as a transition from liking quarterbacks to liking more receivers and things like that, definitely that list right there, are some of the best athletes that I look up to.
0: I know there's between me and you at least a decade age gap, so it's like, for me, it was a whole different guys. It's like... Yeah. Man, it's crazy, and I even just remember watching Deion Sanders playing baseball. Oh, yeah. It's like such, nowadays, you won't ever find guys playing two sports anymore. I don't know if it's just a time commitment or it's too much money in one sport that they're offering that teams won't even risk an investment being ruined by. You're supposed to be out here trying to be a lockdown corner, but you're trying to hit 20 home runs over there and not even yeah. play a full season.
1: Yeah, playing two sports, especially at like a high level, it's really time consuming because shoot, just playing football is like every day, every morning, you're tired, you're beat down. So, I mean, playing two sports at a high level, for you to be able to watch that, is, that's something special, especially like for him to be as good as he was at both of them. I think that's definitely the real deal.
0: In particular, who were some of your mentors that you had? I know, like you said, you mentioned Travell Jones and you talked about Alex Ellis. Who were some of the people that you looked up to as mentors, especially when it comes to the athletic side of things?
1: Uh, I think Alex Ellis was a big one. He was the one I text all the time, like, what can I do to gain weight? What workout is good to get faster? What's good for this? What's good for that? I think he was a big one. And then KJ, Kevin Trader, he went to Del Mar, he played baseball for the Red Sox for a little bit. And I think having him there, I could talk about stuff too. And I mean, shoot, even like maybe not his mentors, but to see like people at Del Mar, the people that were playing there do so well, I think that really kept me going. And they would ask like being a mentor to them was really good for me too. But I mean, I think just Alex Ellis, he definitely had a big role, like one of the bigger roles in it because I always went to him about any question. He might've got annoyed sometimes, but... He always answered, and I think just having him there and Travell and Nelson, all those guys that were actually doing it, doing what I wanted to do at a higher level, and just having those guys around you is just like a big thing to have.
0: How many years of eligibility do you have left playing? I know taking the year off and the transition from D2 to D1, did you have to redshirt a year? Or
1: Yeah, my redshirt year was when I was at Woolwich, so that was my redshirt. So I've got just the next fall left to play, and that's all I got.
0: Will you miss it if the chance to move on to the professional ranks, whether it's Canada or in the U.S., if those opportunities don't come to be?
1: Oh, yeah, I'll definitely miss it because it's something that I've played since I was seven years old. So, I mean, I've been playing it more than half my life. I've been doing this for so long, like. It just becomes normal now. Football is like a part of who you are. So, I mean, once it's over, I know it's going to end at some point, but I'm definitely going to miss it because it's done so much for me and just brought me a lot of success. So I'm definitely going to miss it.
0: I know that, of course, a couple of other leagues are starting to sprout up around the country. And unlike maybe basketball or baseball or other sports, there's not a lot of opportunity to go outside the U.S. to do that. But do you feel like with those other leagues opening up, like the XFL and and some of the other developmental leagues that are going on, do you feel like that gives an opportunity for guys to continue their career, even if it's not at the NFL or CFL level?
1: Oh, yeah, it definitely gives a lot of opportunities. And, I mean, it's a great thing for people to be able to go out and play and just Continue their love for the game because, I mean, when it's done, it's done. And that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. But, I mean, having those leagues for some guys who just don't get the shot or something of that nature, I think that's going to be big in the future for sure.
0: What would you say the biggest misconception is about being a receiver?
1: Biggest misconception? Uh, that you don't have to block. Probably, because blocking on the perimeter is almost even, maybe even more important than catching the ball. What you do without the ball is not in your hands is going to be a direct reflection of how much you care about the team. And that's what our coach says. A lot of people think that you're just going to go out there and catch the ball. It's all, it's all finesse and all catching. It's not all about that. You got to be able to run down the field, block for, for your running back, block for your receiver. Block for your quarterback. And I mean, there's also a lot of film study. People probably might overlook that as well. But to know defenses, that's a big part. If you want to be successful in the game, you got to be able to work hard. You got to be able to play hard every play, run, even when you don't got the ball, block, block as hard as you can. And then just knowing the defense, knowing the team you're going to play, I think those are things that people just overlook because it's just, I play wide receiver, I can catch, I can run. But it's a lot more to it than just that.
0: As we start to wrap up this interview, and again, If you guys are just tuning in, which is sort of weird, why you'd be tuning in at the tail end? I don't know. I am with Shane Leatherberry, wide receiver at Towson University, at first team, all CAA and wide receiver. What are ways people can maybe connect with you, get up with you, and interact with you?
1: My social media probably be a good one. Instagram, I'm at MPO underscore leather, MPO underscore, and then L-E-A-T-H-E-R, and then... That's probably the best way to get a hold of me in my Twitter is Leather, just L-E-A-T-H-E-R, and then two underscores, if I'm not mistaken. Two underscores with that one, so Leather underscore underscore on Twitter, and those are probably some of the apps I use a lot. So if anybody wants to reach out to me on there, I'll be on it.
0: Shane, thank you so much.
1: No, thank you. I mean, it's been a while since we talked, but I'm glad we crossed paths again.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. We we have to do this again. There's nothing but space and opportunity. I think being out of being a journalist, that's the biggest thing I miss. Not only just being out on the scene, but interacting with people and not being able to get to yep. interact with people. It's crazy seeing now that the last group of people I covered, they're already seniors and they're already graduating high school. And that was about four or five years ago. So it's just yeah. crazy seeing those guys. It's like, wow, those are the last ones.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's a tough pill to swallow,
0: probably. It was definitely tough. Once again, thank you so much, and we'll look forward to doing this again.
1: Uh, yep, yeah, I'm going to just keep trying to do what I do, so you keep talking to me.
0: I hope you enjoyed my interview with Shane Leatherberry, and I look forward to talking with him more in the future. Next week, my guest will be my brother Edward Holland and my cousin Theran Dennis as we have one of our first group discussions. Don't forget, you can catch previous episodes of the podcast by going to Apple iTunes, Podbean, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, and more by searching for The Sports Refuge Podcast. Or you can also go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com backslash podcast. Until next time, this is Earl Holland, and I'll talk to you again soon. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at TheSportsRefuge, on Instagram at SportsRefugeSportsBlog, and on Facebook at TheSportsRefugeSportsBlog. Thank you for listening.